Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, I was really glad that I found incredible speakers, and I know that I did sitting in on a lot of things. Um, but it's at this point that it backfires when I have to follow in their footsteps, and so uh, I guess that's the, the other side of that coin. You get good speakers, well, you have to stand in the midst of them and show your true colors, I guess. <laughs> so, well, you can see at the top of your um, notes, if you're taking them in the booklet, the title is Marriage, A Gift from God for Your Joy. In 1540, let me jump back a little bit in history. In 1540, at the age of 31, John Calvin married his only wife, Idolette. Two years into marriage, Idolette gave birth to their first and only son. He was born premature and died quickly after birth. It's possible that they had some daughters, but all would have died in infancy, too. So they never had the opportunity to raise their own children together. Five years into marriage, okay, that was at two, they had their first son. Five years into marriage, Idolette fell horribly ill and remained sick for the last five years of their marriage until she died. Calvin was heartbroken and never married again. He wrote about Idolette's death saying, I have been bereaved of the best friend of my life. So, Calvin was married just shy of 10 years, and in that time he experienced the death of at least one child, never raising any of them, and cared for his sickly bride for half of the marriage that God gave them. Even still, I propose to you that for Calvin and for each of us, marriage is a sweet Sweet gift from God for your joy. So I want to read Genesis chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 2, pretty early on. So Genesis chapter 2, and actually pick up where uh, Dakota had left off this morning. I think he ended in verse 18, and I'd like to start there and read through verse 23. Genesis 2, 18 through 23. This is where we're kind of hunkered down and find most, most of our content this afternoon. This is what the Word of God says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in place of flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman 
because she was taken out of man. Like I said, the, the title uh, that I gave this sermon is Marriage, a Gift from God for Your Joy. And actually, I met with Logan, um, who spoke to us last night, uh, a few months ago, and just talking through what would be the, this is before I had the chance to uh, converse with Dakota and uh, get him involved in this, but Logan and I sat down and we talked and uh, just trying to think through what would be the logical progression of from one sermon to the next, the three, the three sermons. And so we were talking through it, and it was actually inspired by what he, what he was saying to me of the topic that I ended up going with for, for this afternoon, um, saying it, it'd be really good to end on a note just encouraging people about the joys that we have in the good gift from God. And so that's exactly what I ran with. Now, um, looking at that title, many, there's, I, I realize that there's many assumptions that I make in giving that title that maybe you might not actually agree with. I don't know where some of you land um, in that. And uh, assumptions that I make in that title alone, which you might not agree with because it doesn't line up with your experience with marriage. What assumptions might, might I be talking about? Well, marriage is a gift, first of all, which means that marriage is a good meant to be cherished and treasured, not a burden to be endured. And maybe that is how some might be feeling Marriage is a gift to be cherished. Marriage is also not only a gift, but specifically it's from God, right? And so that means that marriage is God's design, and it must fit what He has designed it to be, or else it no longer remains to be marriage. And so then that also means that it's not defined by what maybe popular opinion in today's culture would define it to be. So it's a gift, specifically from God, and it is for your joy, which I think communicates two things. First of all, God cares about your joy. He really, really cares about your joy, and he isn't working against it, actively trying to deny you joy, but he's for your joy. And I hope, I don't know where that lands on you, but I hope you know that. It's an assumption I make because the word of God makes it very clear. He's not only for your joy, but God intends for your marriage specifically to be a means in which that joy is dispensed into your life. It's not for your misery or your despair or discouragement, though maybe at times it feels more of those feelings. Marriage is meant to be for your joy, and so I believe those things. Marriage is both a gift from God and for your joy. So I want to talk about those two distinct components tonight or this afternoon. Marriage is a gift from God. And then secondly, marriage is for your joy. Okay. Marriage is a gift from God. And this is just a general truth that God loves to give gifts to his children, to his people. We, we see that in Matthew 7 when Jesus is talking and he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or... If he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so, and I realize that this might sound like I'm flippantly saying a joke, but I actually mean it in all sincerity because I don't know where some of you land with your feelings towards your current state of your marriage, but I mean it with sincerity. Your marriage is 
a good gift, and it is not a, a stone or a serpent given from God. Uh, it's, it's not that. It might feel hard and discouraging sometimes, but that is not God's intent for what that marriage is supposed to function as in your life. It's a good, good gift. So he loves to give gifts. And, and I want to put this in the right context. I don't want to overstate the gift that is marriage. You might say, well, how can you overstate that? <laughs> well, marriage isn't the greatest gift that God can give us, right? And so I don't want to overstate the gift that it is. There is certainly greater gifts that God gives us. You see, there are, there are those gifts which anybody can enjoy, the benefits of, maybe not the full extent of those benefits, health, comfort, temporal pleasures, pleasures that one day will be fleeting and, and leave and be severed with death. And marriage is actually one of those, right? I think it was said either from Dakota or Logan that marriage is not eternal. We will not be married in eternity. It's a pleasure of this life that we can enjoy. But then there are, aside from those pleasures which many in this world, whether they hate God or love God, can be gifted as common grace. There are those things, but then there are also gifts which are eternal, set aside for those who, are call, who call Christ their King and their Lord. And you know, these, these gifts include the gift of salvation from wrath, the gift of pardon for your sins. That's a gift. The gift of being clothed in righteousness when our own lifestyles are telling a contrary story of the righteousness which we walk in every day in the sight of God. This is a a gift and best of all is communion and relationship with God Himself. You see those gifts that He gave us, pardon for sin, salvation from wrath, clothed in righteousness are actually just gifts which are a means to a greater gift and that is entrance into the presence of Almighty Holy God the greatest gift of them all. So the best gifts are achieved and accomplished through the work of Christ on the cross. So without overstating the gift that is marriage, and with that framework set, I want to still emphasize that marriage was the gift which God was compelled to give Adam. Genesis 2.18, the very verse that we started with. He said it's not good. In observing Adam, in paradise, might I add, in observing Adam, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. I want to gift him woman. So what does that teach us? Well, what Genesis 2 should not teach us, what we should not glean from that passage, is that singleness is inherently evil or bad, right? So, so let's start with that. That's not what Genesis 2 is now teaching us today and living out our lives today, that, that singleness is inherently bad. We know that singleness is also a gift from God. It's a gift, singleness is. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. We read, Paul's writing here, and side note, Paul is single, 
He says, I wish that all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God. He's talking about marriage or singleness. Each has their own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried, to the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So you see, singleness is a gift from God, just as marriage is. And in fact, if I would even go further, which Paul does as you continue reading through the chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, not only is it a gift, but it actually allows you, singleness, allows you to do things which, for God which you are unable to do when you're married. It opens you up to possibilities in that regard. If you read in verse 28 of the same chapter, Paul says, but if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Read this. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. You see, there are obligations which you now step into when you step into covenant, opportunities to bless somebody that's unique from if you were single, but at the same time, obligations, which can hinder you from doing other things, such as maybe the, Paul, the, the ministry that Paul was doing. So singleness allows you to do things which, for God, which you were maybe unable to do when you're married. And so singleness is not just to be endured as so many singles feel today. But it's also a blessing which you can flourish in as you experience it. And Paul continues that as we read in verse 32. I want you to be free from the anxieties. The, un- the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. This is not a bad thing. But still it should be considered. And so singleness is certainly not an inherent evil. And that's not the takeaway that we should get from Genesis 2. Something to consider that likely 50% of the people here in this room will be a widow or widower at some point in their life. You might say, why 50%? Just think on it. Just think on it. <laughs> and, and I just want to encourage you in that. That's why I'm, you're like, why are you talking about singleness in a marriage conference? Well, because it's likely 50% of you at one point in your life will be single again. And that's not inherently bad. It's an opportunity to flourish in a different way than you were flourishing before. So that's not what Genesis 2 is teaching. What is Genesis 2 teaching? Well, it's communicating, I think, that marriage was crafted by God to be a gift, a unique gift for the good of men and women. So I think the natural takeaway or the implication of marriage being a gift from God is that we ought to cherish our marriage. If it is, and it is, a gift from God, then it ought to be cherished and treasured. We don't always live that out very well, do we? I think even um, last night, well, obviously yesterday was a very long day, right? And uh, Sarah and I were finally starting to get, get ready for bed last night, uh, close to, I think it was getting close to midnight, I don't even know. And um, 
And I just stopped and just said, you know, I, I haven't told you all that much today, how much I love you. And, and then we just hugged for a little while, just standing there hugging. And uh, I don't mean to say that, like, oh, look at Isaac, because uh, there's probably more times that I don't do that than I do, and that I should be doing that more. I guess it's a lesson to myself. I'm preaching to myself, maybe even more than I'm preaching to you. Marriage is a gift from God. And the implication there is we should cherish our spouse. Cherish our spouse. So how do we live that out? Well, first we have to know that. You can't live it out unless you know that. And so internalize that. Know it even when you don't feel it. Right? Know it even when you don't feel it and then communicate it to them even when it feels like it's assumed and they already know. How many times do we stop ourselves from blessing our spouse with kind words and gestures because, well, they already know I love them. Know it even when you don't feel it. Communicate it even when you feel like it's assumed and then demonstrate it even when, and I would say, even especially when it's inconvenient. Know it, communicate it, demonstrate it. They are a gift worth treasuring. So marriage is a gift from God for your joy. It served that purpose to the first man who was ever married. If we read the last verse that we had read together, verse 23, did you notice says, then the man said, this was the first response that we have recorded in God's holy word of what man would say when he was first presented with his bride. And he said this, at last. This at last. You see, marriage satisfied a longing that lingered within Adam that he didn't even know existed. For many of us, Marriage satisfies multiple natural longings that are built up within us. That's how God wired us and created us. And marriage satisfies multiple natural longings which we have. You see, it's the, if you think about it, marriage is the only moral arena to express intimacy with another through sex. It's the only moral arena ordained by God and prescribed by God to express intimacy with another through sex. And sex is a natural longing that we all have. Not only sexual desires which God gives us are natural and good, but because it's also the only moral arena which we can express ourselves in that way. It is therefore also the only moral means of reproducing children to raise, which again, many of us have this innate longing to invest in children, right? And so God gives us these joys in life, sex, and children through, funneled through the preceding joy of marriage. So it served that purpose for the first man who ever lived and ever married, and it's meant to bring joy into your life as well. Now, just as I don't want to overstate it being a gift, I also don't want to overstate marriage in being 
a source of joy. Marriage is emphatically a source of joy, but marriage was never meant or intended to provide the greatest joy which your soul requires. And you might think, well, yeah, Isaac, I know, you're going to the gospel and you're going to talk, but I, how many, though, live as if their spouse does fulfill their greatest joy? And maybe that's you. Many seek their utmost joy in and through marriage, be it companionship in general and just a need for that, or the sex that comes with it. We can make idols of much that comes with marriage. So I think it needs to be said. Marriage was never intended to provide the greatest joy which your soul requires. And so now if that is you, and you may have made an idol of marriage itself or your spouse individually, if that's you, I'd encourage you, you have to align your desire for companionship and your love for your spouse with the words of Jesus. When he says in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We must align our love for marriage, our love for our partner with the words of Jesus and not allow it to raise to the point of idolatry. The reality is you will not find a greater joy than communing with the giver of all good gifts, right? I love Psalm 37, verse 4. Think about these words. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You think, there are many things which our heart desires. There are many good things which we long for and we love. There are many things which bring us joy. But these are merely fruit from the tree, right? And the root joy, the tree itself is the giver of those gifts. And let us not love the fruit more than the tree itself. If you know the Westminster Catechism, the what is the chief end of man, we know that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's why Richard Baxter once said, and I think, well, delighting in God should be the work of our lives. Delighting in God should be the work of our lives. So knowing all of that, setting that context, that framework, your marriage has the capacity still for bringing rich joy into your life. And I'm, I'm not suggesting, let me caveat here, I'm not suggesting that life should always feel like a walk on the beach during your honeymoon, right? I'm not suggesting that life should always feel like those butterflies when you're holding your first child together. I mean, life always feels like that for Sarah and I, but I'm not expecting that for you guys. I'm, not, I'm joking. Instead, what I mean when I say marriage can bring you rich joy is that in the midst of all that life brings, stress, fear, frustration, excitement, celebration, in the midst of all of those things, good, bad, worse, ugly, 
you can have the joy of knowing that there's another who's one flesh with you to live through all of that together. What a joy to have one you can say, not only are you standing beside me in this, but we're one flesh through it. That means then also that you have a unique right to speak into your spouse's life, unlike any other. You're one flesh. And not only do you have the unique right to speak into their life, but they also, I'd say, have a unique responsibility to search the depths of who you are as long as they live. Responsibility called upon them more than anybody else in this world. What a joy. What a joy. And this doesn't come without much striving. I know you know that the joys of marriage don't just exist out of nothing. It takes much work, effort, and intentionality. And joyful marriage requires much sacrifice and effort. Since the other two before me preached out of Ephesians 5, I felt it necessary to uh, jump on the bandwagon. So let me finish with Ephesians 5. Christ is our example in this, putting much work into the marriage. He exemplifies this first for us. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. So he died on behalf of the church. Why? To purify her, to sanctify her, and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So he died for her. Why? For her purity. Why? For her purity. Why did he wash her for her purity? For his benefit. For his benefit so that he might present the church back to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, the great work of God was ultimately to his benefit, not that he needed it. But I think he gives us an example here that we should follow this model in our own marriages that we should invest into to find great return in our, and we will find great return in our own lives because the next verse, he says, in the same way, knowing that Christ died so that he would have a purified wife for himself, washing her for the sake of her being able to be presented back to him in splendor, he says, in the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, listen to that, loves himself. Loves himself. So I'd say invest into your other half. Serve them. Sacrifice for them. Care for them. Build them up. And as they are blessed, I'll just say one of two things will happen. pray, and ideally, they would reciprocate with similar actions as they should, and it will strengthen your marriage to your joy. 
But there is that sad but possible alternative that they would not reciprocate when you love them, sacrifice for them. And yet still, hear me, God will honor you and take note of your obedience. So either response, whether they reciprocate or don't reciprocate, as you pour into your marriage, in both cases, your investment will serve to your benefit and your joy. It's the Word of God. So, three encouragements I leave you with as we're concluding here. Very briefly, thank God. Cherish your spouse and invest in your marriage. Thank God for the gift of your spouse regularly. It really is from God, and they really are a gift to you. Cherish your spouse as the gift that they are to you. Remind them regularly how valuable they are to you, how treasured they are. So thank God, cherish your spouse, and invest in your marriage. And watch it return to you in the currency of joy. Let me pray for us. God, I I thank you for our opportunity to gather again, to hear your word once more this afternoon. I pray, Lord, that as we think about these things, that it would really, truly sow into our marriages and reap the, the benefit of deep and residing joy. Lord, I pray that we would never make an idol out of the gift of our spouse or the joy that they may provide, but may it be just a glimpse of the greater joy which we find in you. I thank you for each one here. I pray now, Lord, as we just... And in two songs, Lord, would you, would you be glorified? Would you be worshipped? It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.